Good morning, Impact Church. How are you doing this morning? Woo! That's right. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. So if you're here, this, uh, if you're a child and you forgot, it's not too late. Give your father a big hug and say, I love you, Dad. I was just waiting for the right time, and this is the right time. So Father's Day, to me, I tell my kids all the time, the best thing I love for Father's Day, hugs and letters. So I get them to write me a little letter or something that uh, just uh, to make me feel all sappy inside. I like that stuff. But anyway, so happy Father's Day. Glad to have you here. Uh, since it's Father's Day, there is no teen, no youth group meeting tonight. So uh, all teenagers are told to go and love on your fathers and your families and have family time together. Uh, since we're talking about teenagers, we still have the envelopes over there. Uh, you guys did a great job last week. Last week, we raised $2,240 from the envelopes. So yeah, you guys did great. <clears throat> so appreciate that. So there are still opportunities. So if you want to help out the youth group, get to summer camp. Our youth group goes to Andrews, North Carolina, which is in Snowbird, with Snowbird, uh, Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters. Uh, and it sounds like Wilderness Outfitters is a key to this uh, camp. They get outside, they stay outside and do fun things, but they stay in the Word of God. And they share the gospel all the time, and they teach the kids how to study the Bible for themselves. So that's really a great uh, camp. But if you want to help out, grab an envelope. On the envelope, you see numbers. That's how much money you will put in the envelope. Uh, we had last week, some people scratched out the, the number and doubled it and put double in it. So you can help do what you uh, Lord leads you to do. But for the envelopes and help, you can put it in the uh, offering box. Uh, we do have PayPal option, Venmo option. So you can see my wife right there standing by the pole. My wife, she can help you with electronic options to give. So, But we do appreciate your help. Uh, helping get our teenagers to summer camp. It is a life-changing opportunity for our youth. A whole week saturated in the Word of God, saturated in community, saturated with other believers. So it's a great week, and we've seen a lot of great things from it for over the years of doing this. So I think, uh, I think that's all I have. Um, yeah, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for this great day. We can be in your house. Thank you for fathers that... Uh, uh, love their families, love their children. Thank you for a Heavenly Father that you, God, showed the perfect example of a father. But loving us while we were still sinners, you sent your one and only son uh, to be the great sacrifice, the sacrifice that paid for our sins so that we can have a relationship with you. So that's, I know that's most of the fathers, many of the fathers um, have that heart of sacrificing for their families, to provide for them, to protect them, to, to be the godly men in their homes. And thank you for the fathers in this room that do just that. They follow Jesus Christ, and they sacrifice, they provide, and they love on their families. And we thank you for that. And we pray that you, God, would give each man that extra power, the extra energy, the extra strength to be the men of God that they want to be for their families. God, we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. So glad to see you this morning in worship today. Let's all stand together as we sing. Would you stand with us, please? Would you sing with us? I was buried beneath my shame. Breathing but not 
We serve an awesome God.
Father, and on this Father's Day, we think of our Abba Father. God, we thank you that you are a Father who is close. God, that you are a Father who cares about your children, Father. And we thank you that we can worship you today in spirit and in truth and know that you inhabit the praises of your people. God, as we learn more about your truth and more about your word today, help us to be drawn closer to you, Father. We thank you for your greatness, for your holiness, for your worthiness. God, you're so awesome and so so holy and awesome. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
watching the things you do. I'm watching the way you treat people. The way you treat me and my mom and my sister. The way you live your life is having a big impact on me. When it's time for me to choose a career and provide for my family, your work ethic will be on my mind. The time you spend with me, even doing simple things, will give me a sense of security. There will be times in my life where I struggle with integrity and I may be not sure what to do. But I will recall how you stood up for what was right, even if you could have looked the other way. One of the choices you are making, I will also make. Please don't be afraid to show me your failures to show me your mistakes. I will learn from them. Dad, are you listening? I'm watching. Watching to see if you really believe what you say about God. I need you to help show me the way. Show me how to live life that isn't safe, but is good. So I'm watching you, Dad, every day. You're teaching me how to live, whether you know it or not. Hey, Brad, before you say anything, it's <laughs> Father's Day, right? So Father's Day, it, there's nothing like Father's Day than a good old fish tail, right? So, <laughs> so I heard yesterday you was up fishing yesterday and caught a 10-pound bass. Well, kind of. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> well, I heard that it got away from you. At the edge of the boat, you had it, and it... Well, I was sitting there just looking at it. I'd unfought it for about five minutes. It was just laying on top of the water, so I'd take me in the boat. And I was just looking, I just couldn't believe I caught that big of a fish, and I reached down there to grab it, and the line broke, <laughs> and the fish is just laying there on the water, and my thumb had just touched his lip, and it kind of dipped down. I grabbed the fish, and it slipped right through my hands and waddled back down to the deep. Man, so close. You don't get much better for Father Day story than that, Don't do get you? much better. But you know what? Your, your family loves you, and they said, if we can find that fish, we'll bring it to church. And they found that fish... And your family Man, has brought you the five-pound bass. All right. This will be a whole lot cheaper to hang on the wall, too. I can promise you that. All so, right. So happy Father's Day from the church and from your family. And guys out there, I don't have another fish for you out there, but we do have notebooks and pens for you to take home to write notes down of the, the best fishing stories you've ever had in your life. But, yep. but happy Father's Day, brother. Thank you, brother. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Let me see if I can set this right here where it'll be kind of visible. It'll fall off in the middle of the sermon. It ain't going to stay there that long. All right. Welcome to Impact Church this morning. How's everybody doing? 
Now that you heard a good fish tale, and uh, it is the gospel because my wife and daughter were there to witness it and witness how big the fish was and uh, all that fun stuff. So uh, anyway, welcome this morning if you're uh, with us and uh, worshiping. We say every single week, and if uh, welcome. We're glad you're here. And if you're searching for a church home, a place to get plugged in, man, we hope the Lord leads you right here. We hope this is your last stop, your last shop, and God anchors you here. He's doing an amazing work. We would love for you and your family to be a part of it. If you're looking for a Bible-believing preaching church that stands on the Word, preaches it unapologetically, does not leave holes in this Bible, but preaches it all, um, you're in the right place. So welcome to Impact Church this morning. And of course, we know it's a, a special Sunday today because we celebrate Father's Day today. And we remember and honor um, the dads in our life, the grandfathers in our life that have poured into us and given us so much. And, and for some of us, um, maybe it's not as much of a joyful uh, day as it is for others. Maybe today is a day of remembrance. Maybe you've lost your dad and your dad's not here with us anymore. So you have memories and sometimes that brings tears. Maybe uh, you, you have a, a, had a father or, uh, that maybe didn't um, do the greatest uh, job of, of exemplifying what a, a father should be. Um, and, and in that time of, of forgiveness toward him, we can still always look to a heavenly father who is faithful and will never leave us and will never forsake us and is a, a God who calls us to call him daddy. So regardless of what your situation is today, we have a heavenly father that we get to spend time with today on the Lord's Day, a Father's Day of our Heavenly Father that we celebrate just as much as our earthly dads as well. All right, so with that, you know, we're in a sermon series that we had started here a couple weeks back entitled Barrier Breakers, Overcoming Life's Toughest Obstacles. And we started, we had to introduce this series before we started diving into some deeper things, okay? So first of all, we introduced the idea that change is possible. I mean, before we get through anything and before we look at some things that we all struggle with from time to time, we have to know that change in Christ is available and it's possible. And it's not just for certain few people. It's for everybody. And even inside that change, there's a change of heart. And we may struggle with some things on the outside and with our flesh the rest of our life. But there's a heart change on the inside that Christ longs to do that sets us free even in the midst of a struggle. All right, so change is possible. And then we saw last week, what are some obstacles to change? What things are going to set themselves against us from the start? So if you missed those messages, you need to go back and check them out, all right, and catch up. So now, um, I, I was going to have the message on uh, pride after the introduction, because obviously pride is at the heart of anything else that um, uh, a lot of what we're going to talk about. But uh, today, uh, the Lord changed the message, uh, and it's going to be on fear, all right? And it's going to tie in well with what we're looking and what we're celebrating today at Father's Day because the title of the message is Never Fear, Daddy's Here. All right? Never Fear, Daddy's Here. If you remember when you were young, for those of you who had a father, maybe those of you now that are fathers, and you know your little kids have a sense of security when dad's around. You get just a little more bold. You get just a little more brave when you know daddy's got your back. How about this? How brave do you remember getting or that sense of security that you felt just when you hear his voice? 
just when you know he's there and that he cares and that he sees what's going on and that he's with you. Guys, that's the message we're going to get today from God's word, that we have a, a heavenly father that's with us, that's for us. And he invites us to be a child of God. And that now we can call him daddy. It doesn't get any warmer than that. It doesn't get any more secure than that. Because here's the truth. We know that there's commands in scripture not to fear. That's easier said than done, isn't it? Because there's things in life that are quite frankly just scary. That make us afraid. Uncertain times, uncertain circumstances. Things that look like they're going the wrong direction. And we get filled with fear. But our message is today to know that inside of that, God is going to call us out of that. Even in the opportunities or the, the circumstances where we have that, that feeling, that emotion. He's going to call us out of that just simply by us knowing that he's here. That he's with us. And we're going to see that today. So right now in your life... What are you most afraid of? Everybody might have a little different answer to that, I'm assuming. But really, what is it? I mean, if you were to have to come up here and write on a chalkboard what your fear was, what, what, what would it be? What's your greatest fear? What grips you and paralyzes you and fills you with anxiety, with, with loss of hope, loss of courage? What causes you to have tremendous concern about tomorrow? Is it a job loss, failed relationship, bad health report, germs, viruses? How about this? Is it fear of the direction your kids are taking? Feel like it's never going to turn? Is it the fear of the direction the nation is going, the world is going? You feel like it's never going to be any hope? Looked up a few statistics and there's over 30 million America, Americans that consistently deal with phobias. Fear of certain things that they cannot separate from. It's more prevalent in women than it is men, barely. It's more prevalent in kids than it is adults. That part might make sense. But inside of all that, 34% of people fear the future overall. 34% of adults. If you look at the youth, 75% fear the future. Think about that. That there's a legitimate scare and uncertainty. 76% of all Americans say that the future of our nation causes them stress and fear. So we know that there's very legitimate things in our life, even if we don't have phobias, even if we don't have things that we are, are physically scared of, that we have mental and, and emotional circumstances that we face that are uncertain that can, can, that can cause fear and cause us to be paralyzed in a sense. Because fear is a powerful emotion. It can overtake our heart. It can overtake our mind and consume our thoughts it can then, if we allow it, overtake our soul, the very inner part of our being where we live and act out in fear. And it can keep us paralyzed and unable to move forward in life. 
But yet God wants to call us out of that today. Because God wants us to move forward, to not stay paralyzed in fear, but to march forward in faith, knowing that he is here. So therefore, we cannot have fear because we know that our Heavenly Father, our Daddy, is here. Let me pray for us real quick before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, I just praise you for who you are. Lord, that you love us like you do. It's a love that the world can't give or provide. It's a love that another person can't provide. No one loves like you do. So, Lord, we come today, we honor you first as our heavenly father. Lord, for those who have surrendered their lives to you and those who need to do that today, Lord, that you've invited us to be a child of God, that we're in your family. So, Lord, help us keep our focus on you. Lord, let us not be the statistic that we learned about last week. where only 15% of people in church today consider their relationship with you the most important thing in their life. God, you are the most important thing in our life because everything else flows out of you. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today. Lord, as we hear from your word in a, in a message that is, whether we want to admit it tonight, it's pertinent for all of us because we all have certain levels or types of fears. And Lord, you've commanded us to fear not because you're here. And Lord, that any fear that we have is because we've deviated somewhat and we have a lack of faith and a trust of you. So Lord, help us because we're weak. And Lord, when we are weak, you are strong. So Lord, speak to our hearts, Lord, encourage us today. Lord, to everybody that walks out of this place or hears online later, Lord, would, would know, Father, that you are here, that you are with us, and you are for us. And Lord, that makes all the difference for anything we face in our life. We praise you for everything that you're about to do in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you have a copy of God's word with you, we're going to start out briefly in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 11, and then we're going to pretty quickly transition over into Psalms 46. But first, I wanted to start out with 1 Peter 5.8 for a reason, because we know there's basically two things, if you put it in a nutshell, that will or can cause fear in our life. The first of which is we have an enemy that wants to cause us and provoke fear in our life. Did you know that? He wants to intimidate us and condemn us. And to steal, kill, and destroy everything that God wants for us to have in our life. He wants to take that. But then also we know that there is a certain thing called faith. That depending on how much faith we truly have depends on how or what level of fear we actually will have in certain circumstances. Is God in control or is he not? And that's hard for us to trust and say. 
Did you know in the Bible it says to fear not or don't be afraid 365 times? You believe that? Those of you that are really good at math and know the calendar, that's one verse for every day, baby. (laughs) Every day, there's something from God's word that can tell you, don't be afraid, fear not, in certain circumstances in God's word. So with a command like that, that's that prevalent, that's that frequent, do you think that's something that we all may struggle with at certain times in certain situations? Absolutely. So let's read this. And we'll talk about our level of faith later. But first of all, in 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 11, I want to read that passage for you. And I'm going to read it out of the ESV version for you here today. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 through 11. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your, what? Faith. Somebody say faith. Faith. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I like that word. Establish you. Think about that. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. But we know and we see, we've talked about this a little bit over the past couple weeks, we know we have an enemy. And the Bible gives a very, very vivid picture of what this attack will look like. It's that of a lion. A roaring lion seeking someone to devour, prowling around. And we've talked about this, so we don't need to to belabor the point, but we know the lion attacks in stealth. So it's going to be a stealthy approach, a covert approach. He's not coming barreling at you where you see danger, 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 woo, run. He's not roaring from half a mile away and sprinting across the field. It's a stealth approach at first. He's prowling. He's looking. He's searching. He's sneaking up. How does he do it? Deception, lies, blame, false perceptions. To get you not only on the wrong path toward weakness and isolation like we've talked about, but to make you believe you're on the right path the whole time. (laughs) That everything's just okay. When it's really not. That he's sneaking up. So we know and we see this covert approach just by this imagery of the lion. Because the lion truthfully attacks only when it's within 10 to 20 yards of its prey or less. It will not attack farther out than that. In other words, Satan's not going to give you a chance to run if you stay on the path that he's deceived you with. He's coming. And when he's close enough, you're in the grips. So, here's the issue, though. Sometimes, for those in Christ, especially those who have had a transformation of heart that we've talked about, he's not going to get us in the subtlety of his schemes. He can't trick us into making us think we're on the wrong path for those of us who know truth and have our face in the word, and we know what his word says. Yes, we're still going to wrestle with our flesh and mess up. That's not what I'm talking about. But we're not going to deviate onto deception and lies like maybe we would if Christ wasn't in us. So what does he do then? 
He still wants to attack. He's the roaring lion. What does the roar of a lion sound like? Anybody ever heard one at the zoo or anything when it let out a roar? It's said that the roar of a lion could be heard from five miles away. That's how loud one of them things can be. If you're in a car 100 feet away, it will literally shake the vehicle. That sounds pretty intimidating, doesn't it? So what does he want to do with his roar? He wants to intimidate. Biologists state that the roar of a lion is a message of power that he lords and commands over all that he looks over. I want you to think about that with what we just heard from God's word. His roar, Satan's roar, Satan's intimidation, Satan's thoughts in your head that you're worthless, that your situation will never change, your marriage will never change, you'll never find another job, your kids will never change, you're never going to break that addiction, you're never going to be worth it. You hear, you see? That roar, that intimidation is meant to do just that, to make you back down, to make you live in fear, to make you lose courage. And inside of that, he's always looking to isolate. Just like we talked about, the lion wants the one that, that has strayed from the pack. And here's what's true about a lion. Some animals only attack things that, that are weak. A lion will attack something that even looks strong if he can get it by itself. He's not scared. He's not So no matter how strong we think we are, if we allow ourselves to deviate, and we've had this message for the past two weeks, and find ourselves in isolation, and we're not plugged into a body called the church, and we're not doing life together, and we're not, we're not edifying each other, and we're not iron sharpening iron, and we find ourselves in isolation, make no mistake. He's coming, and it's not a great place to be. So fear, intimidation, isolation. We get this very vivid picture already just from verse 8. If we look at verse 9 through 11, we get that message that faith has a lot to do with that. Because we get the command after we see this vivid picture. He says, resist him. How do we resist him? Well, first of all, we know elsewhere in the Bible it says to submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Oftentimes, people just, quote, resist the devil, he will flee from me. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Let me tell you something real quick. You and I don't have the power in our own strength and our own ability to resist the devil by ourselves. Because all we got to pull from, if you're only leaning on yourself, is the flesh. And he has got the advantage. But the beginning part of that is submit yourselves to God. Remember? That's how we're going to gain victory, is be submitted to God, that he is Lord, that he is in control. Then I have the power through the Spirit of God to resist the devil, and then he'll flee. Okay? Can't do it on our own. So that's where, in this passage, in verse 9, after saying resist him, it says, firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. Because if we don't, then we're going to leak over into fear. And he's got us very clear through the rest of that passage we just read that not even Christians, not even those in Christ are immune to suffering and immune to attacks. We're not. And the Bible is very clear that even after we have suffered a while, that if we can endure, that if we can keep our faith, that if we can trust in God, even when things don't look like they're going, like playing, like, like God hasn't gained the victory yet, it looks like, looks like the enemy's winning. Have you ever had that feeling in your life? 
If I had four hands, I'd put them up. There are so many times in my life, and I know it's got to be true in yours, where I feel like the enemy is overtaken and he's winning. And you cry out like, God, where are you? You ever been there? But will we still have faith in that moment? And trust in knowing when the answer is not immediate, when the answer is not what we want, when, when, it, when it looks like that healing will never come, will we still be faithful to the one who is always faithful? And that's our Heavenly Father. Satan's goal is to try to cause chaos and panic and to scatter us and isolate us so that we fail. But here's some truth for you. And we'll talk a little bit more about this later in the series. But even in the midst of our suffering in hard times, get this. If you're taking notes, you could write this down. Our worst times are often God's best times to use our lives for his glory. That's not a popular doctrine to preach. But oh, how true it is. Our worst times are often God's best times to use our lives for his glory. We don't have the time to go dive into it, but you can see that in Acts chapter 8 where we look at Acts um, chapter 6 and, and Stephen's accused of blasphemy and you can see the enemy's ploy to try to divide the church. And in chapter 7, the, the, Israel, the, uh, the, the church starts to deviate and to um, get into tradition. Stephen is martyred. People are leaving their homes or businesses. And then you enter chapter 8, and you see Saul persecuting the church. And he comes in with a vengeance. And that's what that word for destroy is there in the passage. That he comes out with evil. And obviously fueled by Satan to divide people and have them scatter. And that they did. They ran. But then inside of that moment, even inside of that fear and that isolation, God used that opportunity as the gospel was shared to other people where they went. <laughs> God uses some of the worst times in our life for his glory. So right now, as we transition into Psalms 46, I want you to right now as we read this chapter of Psalm, I want you to think about every fear you've ever had. I want you to imagine the greatest fear of your life that may come tomorrow. I want you to picture the fear maybe you have right now as we read this passage. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Everybody say, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord. 
Who has made desolations in the earth? He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. A lot in there. But I hope you saw our overwhelming theme of fear not. Why? Because God is the deliverer. God is sovereign. God is in control. So we can live in confidence. We can live in courage in him. In other words, we can never fear because daddy is here. Our heavenly father, but do we hear his voice? Do we really know he's there? Do we trust that he's in control? In other words, is God your refuge? Is he? Is he where you run first? Is he where you stay? Even when the answer is slow, or do you leave that refuge very quickly for another refuge? See your strength? See your source of help? Or is he just a sideshow entertainment? And the main event is something else. Is he the main event of your life? Is he? We're living in times of uncertainty like never before. We know that. We see that. We feel that around every turn. We have things going on in our nation that would bring the most faithful to uncertainty and wondering what's going on and what tomorrow may bring. On financial ends, on political ends, on racial ends, moral decline that we see, mental health collapse all across our world and our nation and in our youth especially, spiritual opposition and silencing of those who we even remotely want to stand on the truth, a time that we never thought we'd see in our nation, and it's only going to get worse. Then we have things like wars going on with Russia and Ukraine. We got things of unrest in the Middle East where things could explode literally at any minute. And we even saw that when we preached in Revelation and we talked about some of the Middle East. And that very morning, Israel had drone strikes on Iran. Things that could essentially, essentially provoke any kind of response any day. And on top of all of it, the view of God in this world has diminished. And that could almost be expected. But the bad part is the view of God and the view of his truth, his word, has been skewed and diminished in the church as well. So Brad, what are you saying? What are you getting at? If our view of God and his truth has diminished, and God says the understanding and the knowledge and the faith in him is the only way that we can come out of fear, and we don't have this knowledge and this trust, we are fooling ourselves if we ever think we're going to live one day outside of fear in our life. Unfortunately, we live in an age of biblical illiteracy. People don't know God's word. That's why we took eight months to preach on a book that's never taught 
And unfortunately, as many as embraced that and, and just hungered in that and want more, I fear some ran away because they didn't like what it said. And we wonder how we're ever going to trust and have faith if we don't even know who God is and what he has for us and what the future actually holds, that there is victory in Christ, that we are overcomers. Because if we don't know how to experience God, we will never know how to trust God. Have you experienced God? Do you know? Has he proven himself faithful? In your past. And right now where you're at, you, you, may, you may honestly, you may have an answer like, I, I don't know, Brad. I don't know if I could answer that affirmatively. Then can I encourage you that if you can't look for times maybe in your own life, that you can look at his track record right here and know that he's faithful. He's undefeated. He's never lost a battle. He's not about to lose one in your life either. You trust him. We look at fear and what it is, and you look at the definition. It's a sudden attack of emotion from perceived danger and uncertainty. And it often leads to panic. Can we look at the definition of panic? It implies an unreasoning and an overmastering of fear causing hysterical activity. You ever seen somebody panic? You ever panicked yourself? It's easy to get in that circumstance, that situation where fear just overtakes. And that's where the enemy wants us to be in our walk, in our faith, and looking at circumstances that we live out in our life, in our marriages, in our homes, in our finances, in our health. Everyone has fears or potential fears here today. Some could be simple, silly things like fear heights. Like I'm pretty good on this platform right here. You know what I'm saying? If I was feeling it today, I'd do a handstand for you right here. But if you put this little platform 300 feet in the air, let me tell you what I'm doing. Isn't that funny? platform this big that we feel so confident on in certain circumstances in the same platform where we don't feel comfortable, we walk into fear. Did anybody just get a word right there? You see, there's certain situations where I can preach on this, where this word of God can fall on my heart, on your heart, and we can feel really comfortable in here learning this, and we can affirm this, and we be like, yeah, right on, pastor, right on, Lord, I'm with you, man, I got this, Woo! But then this platform inside this building where we're all together, when we get outside in the world and, the, and, and circumstances don't go like we want and things look like, we're, like the enemy's losing and we don't have control and there's no grip, in this same platform that we're comfortable in here, are we comfortable on the same platform out there? And I'm preaching to myself too, by the way. Everyone has fears of certain kinds and certain circumstances. But our passage here tells us that he's a refuge, a strength, and a help right off the bat. And I want to point this out before we dig into this just a little bit more. Anybody see the word selah there in their Bible three different times? Do you see that? 
Selah is a Hebrew word referring to a voluntary and intentional pause for reflection. So after each stanza, because we've got to remember Psalms written as a song here. So after each stanza, there's a time to reflect on what was said. How about right now today we can do that? That everything that God's going to say here, we can look back and we can pause and we can reflect. And then we can apply to our life so that we can walk out of here, even though we're going to have fear, we're going to experience that emotion, it's a normal human emotion, that we cannot be paralyzed in it. There's a difference. I've often heard that courage is just keeping moving forward in the face of fear. <laughs> that when you have courage, it doesn't mean that you don't have fear. It just means that you found a way to overcome it. That's what God wants us to have in him. Is where we're not paralyzed in that emotion that we're all going to have at certain times in our life. Verse 2 right here, before we look at these aspects of who God is and how he's going to help us through fear. Verse 2 takes the two most stable things that you can always count on being there. Every morning you wake up and it says, even if these things are removed... And what would that be? I mean, obviously outside the sun, because we expect that bad boy to be up there every day, right? Even if it's cloudy, we know it's back there somewhere, because if the sun's not there, boy, things are really coming unraveled, right? All the planets are flying off into space, and I mean, you know, we're freezing to death and all that stuff. But inside of that, what do you expect to be there when you wake up every single morning and step out your door? The ground. <laughs> That'd be good, wouldn't it? There's going to be earth there. It's not gone anywhere. We can know this, especially because we wake up around here, many of us, and we have view of this mountain range out here. What would it be like? What would you think if you woke up and you looked out your window off your back deck or wherever you have your view from or driving down the road, and you'd be like, dude, there was a mountain there yesterday. Where did that go? We just know they're going to be there. But even if they weren't, even if the most tangible, solid, unmovable things physically that we can think of in our life were taken away, we can still live and walk without fear. So I want us to get that picture. Why? Because the one who can't be moved never changes. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he loves you. And he's immovable. And he invites us to be a part of him. So that if you look at Hebrews, said that he invites us to be a part of a life that can't be shaken. When he shakes everything that's movable, that we won't be shaken in our spirit and in our lives. So there's a life lesson here. If you're in Christ, even though you may have fear at certain times, you don't need to live afraid. There's the difference. We can have a fear, but we don't need to live afraid. I think about our first responders and, and how our police officers and our firefighters, they could tell you about this. Ask a firefighter who's ever had to run into a, a flaming building to save somebody. Do you think they had a little bit of fear? 
Oh, I bet they did, especially if they got in there and the roof ceilings were starting to fall down, things were starting to collapse, fire starts exploding out of every doorway and coming around. I bet there was a little bit of it. But did they paralyze? Did they sink down? Did they quit? No, what they do? They kept going because they knew there's a greater cause to live for, to accomplish. So therefore, even in the midst of that fear, they can go through that house Because of the task, what they've been trained, get this, to do. This Bible is useful useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training all righteousness. Have you been trained for life by the best? Your training will make all the difference when you're faced in fear. Ask a firefighter. Three things in verse 1 of chapter 46 in Psalms. What does he say? God is our what? It's our refuge. Verse 1, let's look at each one individually. If our, if our refuge, what is a refuge? If you look up the definition of it, it's a, it's a lofty or inaccessible place. How many of you ever had like an older brother or sister when you were growing up? Then they were much taller than you. Anybody? And they thought it might be funny if they take your favorite toy or your ball and they put it in an inaccessible place that you can't reach. Can't touch this. You can't get it. Boy, how, how demoralizing was that? Be like, man, I, I'm here. I can see it. But man, I can't touch it. I can't get it. It's out of reach. That's where God wants to set you and me. He wants to hold the enemy on a leash. But I'm going to tell you, we can't overcome the, overcome the demons in our life that we like to play with. Would you let God have your life and set you apart in a refuge away? Secondary definition of refuge is a stronghold. Stronghold in the Bible here in this context, it's not talking about a stronghold or a pattern of sin. It's talking about a stronghold that's a, a fortified, elevated fortress for protection against attack. It's a defensive military shelter where the enemy can't get you. That's where God wants to bring you and I. That's who he is for us. That's why it's so important that we know his word and we know who he is. That's how we can trust him. But first, we got to realize that he's not against us. Did you know that? He's not against you. He's not against you. Can he be against some of the decisions and lifestyles we live? Absolutely. But he's for you so much to come out of that that he sent his son to the cross to set you free from what he's against. He's for you. He loves you. He wants you to be set free from the grips of sin, to come into his refuge, his safe place. That means even if, if, if we've messed up in our life before, or maybe we've messed up recently, and we've caused 80% of the mess we're in in our life, he's not sitting up there waiting 
like this, waiting to pound you. That's not who he is. Praise God that he's put all that wrath because of sin upon his son right now. Jesus is taking the whips and the blows and the beating of the wrath of God. That's why he's not laying down people today like he did in the Old Testament when things go wrong and we deviate. It's because of Jesus. It's how much he loves you. It's what he went to the cross for, not to give you a free ticket to sin, but to take the penalty and the wrath of that sin upon himself. So if we can come to him with a repentant heart that's moved by the Spirit, and we say yes to Jesus, that repentant heart, God honors. Because it's a heart of humility that says, God, it's not my way, it's your way. And it all comes by the Spirit changing us from the inside out. Again, we talked about that the past two weeks. Let's look at the second thing that it says says he's our strength. He's not only our refuge. He wants to set us in a safe place. He's our strength. He's our provision. He gives us what we don't have. And he provides that from within through his spirit and through his word and encouragement to us and transforming our mind. And here's the beautiful part. He gives this power and ability to endure and to conquer and overcome whatever we face. Here's the second aspect of that. He's faithful to give it day to day. Moment to moment, minute by minute. He doesn't give it for tomorrow. I want you to get this. Why? Because tomorrow hasn't come yet. That's why he says in his word, why are you even worrying about tomorrow? Let tomorrow worry of itself. I don't need to give you strength for tomorrow. Because tomorrow's not here. Tomorrow may never come. I think that's a country song, won't it? I won't try to sing it. I'm not as good as my boy Garth there. But tomorrow may never come. Why do I need strength for tomorrow? But see, what's easy for you and me to do is to take off in our head with tomorrow. That's what builds fear and anxiety and depression and loss of hope is we get so caught up in tomorrow that we don't realize the grace that he has sufficiently given us for today. And I'm more guilty than that than anybody in here. I worry about tomorrow. Part of that is probably because of the way God's wired me. That's, I guess that's why I'm a church planner. I'm always thinking ahead. I'm always thinking next month, next year, five years from now. I'm thinking down the road, trying to make preparations. The problem in that, I get worried. I get stressed. It includes fear because I don't have answers even, especially when you deal with this county in VDOT. I'm sorry, Lord. But, I mean, I don't have answers for tomorrow anymore. I can't give them. I've got to trust a God that's in his time and whatever happens in my life. Yes, even with silly things like a building. But the problem is I do that in my own life, my own personal life as well. I worry about tomorrow. And it brings fear. And I'm like, Lord, help give me strength for that. He's like, no, 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 no. I've given you enough for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Let tomorrow take care of itself. In other words, let God worry about tomorrow. 
You look at what God's given you and I to face this moment right now, today, to overcome. That's where we can stand. We worry about tomorrow, we will be overcome with fear. Face today in the strength and the faith of the Lord. Third thing he lists there is he's a help. He's a help in time of trouble. No matter what it looks like, no matter what's going on, no matter what the circumstances is, he is faithful to deliver. I want you to think about that. And we, we had this whole sermon series that we went through the whole book of Philippians. And y'all may have remembered that back when we were in the tent. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's almost as hot in here today as it was in that tent. I don't know why. All right? But anyway, we went through the book of Philippians. We had this entire sermon series called Joyride. Right? You remember that? And there was joy, 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 joy every week. Joy every week. Joy every week. And what? Circumstances that weren't going Paul's way. And he could have joy inside of that. That he could trust in a God that will deliver. And this is what we learn. Is that Paul didn't even know how he would be delivered. He just knew God would deliver him. So there's three ways God can deliver. God delivered, was going to deliver Paul in one of three ways. He trusted that. God will deliver me in one of three ways. We can trust that. God will deliver you in one of three ways. You ready? He will deliver you And he can out of a circumstance. He can. He's God. He's a miracle worker. He can speak and calm the sea and take you right out of that situation. He can do that. Or he can choose to deliver you through the circumstance. That means you never come out of the fire. He stands and walks with you through the fire. Want to know the third way he can deliver you? This isn't a popular one for some reason, and I don't know why. Because it's actually the best one. He could deliver you to himself. What's wrong with that? But no matter what, if you're in Christ, it's guaranteed deliverance. Guaranteed. So we can have joy no matter what. What's the worst thing that can happen to a Christian? I say the worst thing that can happen to a Christian is he get left on this earth and be persecuted. The best thing that can happen is he get removed and be with his heavenly father in glory for eternity. (laughs) Lord, help us to have an eternal mindset like that because that's hard. Because I know and I know because I'm like you. I've got family. I've got kids. I've got things I love and want to do and be with. But you know what? If we could just release ourselves and disconnect from this world, that's when we won't be shaken when God shakes the earth. Because we're part of a kingdom that can't be shaken. It's help in time of trouble. So how does all, all this play out and wrap up? Is this going to be like he's going to infuse us with this like superhuman strength? Are we going to be like Tarzan one day and wake up and be like, oh yeah, after we leave, it's like, oh, beat our chest? No. <laughs> no. How about Superman? We gotta, we're going to get this power guy, go run in the phone booth real quick and become like, does that mean that's what we're going to feel like as we live the Christian life? Very few times will you ever feel like that. How about the Hulk? We're going to change all of a sudden? Don't make me angry. (laughs) You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Are we going to get, how about this? We're going to get an ooey gooey feeling? Is that how he does it? It's all about feelings and emotions? Lord, I hope not. Because circumstances will quickly change that ooey-gooey feeling and emotion. 
Do I got to go to some major event and some big show and, and get smacked in the head by somebody and flop on the ground like it's a, like it's a circus instead of a service? Is that how I'm going to receive power? No. How am I going to receive power? Only through Christ alone living inside of me and me surrendered to him in such a way where I have an eternal mindset through the spirit of God where I see my life now as his and not my own. It's Galatians 2.20 that we talked about last week. But I've been crucified with Christ as I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live by, in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loves me and gave his life for me. That's the only way you and I are ever going to have joy in our life. In circumstances that are against us. Man. And he gives this presence, this unlimited supply. And we see in, in verses 4 through 7, as I bring us quickly here to a close at the end, as we speed through the rest, that it, sh it basically says that he shows up. He's faithful. There's a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, a holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. He shall not be moved. He shall help her just at the break of dawn. What is that? That means almost at the last minute. <laughs> We've gone through the entire night, but just at the break of dawn, God will show up. How many times do we, wanna, we want him to show up at the midnight hour, though? When it's the darkest, when, it, when, when, oh man, I don't want to go through the rest of the night. I'm there. I'm there with you. But oftentimes God takes us through the night to help strengthen our faith. And also, like we talked about, to do something in us so that then, but he's going to show up right the nick of time. There's guaranteed deliverance. We just talked about that. No matter what that looks like for you or for me. It's a presence that's unlimited supply. You think about this river, this city of God, in the city of God. You think about a river, you think of something that's stable, not unstable like the waters that's listed in verse 3 that are shifting and shaking. But this is a stable stream with a constant flow that's constantly provided, like a waterfall that's just constantly dumping water. It's an unlimited supply. And we know this from Revelation 22, those of you that were here. What did we see in that last chapter? And heaven on earth, as this new heaven had, had, and new earth were created in, in existence, and we walked with God, what was the first thing verse 1 said that comes from the very throne of God and of the Lamb? That's Jesus. A river of life. Are you tapped into the river of life that God wants to provide? It's an unlimited supply. So to walk out all this, the end of that chapter, verses 8 through 11, first of all, it comes as behold the works of the Lord. How can we behold the works of the Lord? How? Two ways. This and seeing who he is and what he's done. But then how else can we see the works of the Lord? In our own life. So we know that first we must have an accurate view of God from Scripture. And what he's done in the past, he'll do in the present. And then, yes, in the future. That's why we don't have to worry about tomorrow. We can have confidence that he's sovereign. He's in control. And justice will be served. Guys, if you and I think we can experience God and the fullness of God and who he is, 
without being in love with his word, we're fooling ourselves. It's the only way we're actually going to know who he is so that we can have the faith to trust and walk through the fears of life. So when you hurt and it'll come, open his word. Open his word. Let him reveal himself to you. So many times, man, when you're hurt or I'm hurt, we spend way too much time on the phone. We get lots of consolation and and stuff from others, and we look to others, and that's fine. We should. Again, we're meant to do life together. Nothing wrong with that. But there is if we've never gone to God's word. When we're hurt, we spend too much time on Facebook, on the Internet, searching through all the horrible things that our diagnosis can bring and be and what this pain could be and this, that, and the other, what this uncertainty could bring, what this, what this lifestyle is, what this... Did you go here or just to the internet? Nothing wrong with research and figuring out some stuff, not a thing. But if that's all you go to and you don't go here, what have you just done? We spend an awful lot of time when we're hurt listening to talk shows, radio. But do we ever hear from the one who wants to give us a river of life, who is a refuge, our strength? our help in time of trouble and he's always with us so you know he's God I hope you trust and know that is he your God you know he's Lord he's in control he's master of all is he your Lord does he master and control your mind Does he master and control your heart? Does he help master and control your actions? He's God, but is he bigger than what I fear? In other words, he's God, and a paycheck is not. He's God. And a doctor is not. He's God. And another person who thinks they're in control of our circumstances is not. He's sovereign. He's faithful. And he's going to walk us through, pull us out, or deliver us to. But there's guaranteed deliverance in Jesus. And he is not the one who gives us that spirit of fear that consumes us and paralyzes us. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of what? Of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of a sound mind. That's self-control. Oh, boy, how I need that. When things don't go my way in my home, in my family, with my kids, and in my life. How about you? You ever lose control before? And it's wrong. But so many times when we feel like we can't control things, when I I can't fix things, when I can't right the ship and make things right, it's so easy for me to lose control. Why? Because of fear. Because of fear of what's going to happen if things don't change. 
And God said, hey, I didn't give you that spirit, Brad. I put a spirit of power for you to step above that. I put a, a spirit of love in you so that you can respond differently. I put a power, of, a power and a feeling of self-control in you where you don't have to lash out like you just did. And oh, how I've failed. So many times in my life. Yeah, God's still working on me too, if that's okay with y'all. And in closing, remember, God's created everything that we see. He spoke it into existence. He breathed life into man. And he planned and knew all the days of our life before we leave and lived them out. That's what the Bible tells us. Do you know that? His own people, the Israelites, were in slavery and bondage and they were screaming out. And he let them go through a season. But then what did he do? He delivered them. He rescued them. He parted the Red Sea in front of them. And what, and what were they doing before he did that? They were paralyzed in fear because they saw the Egyptians coming. How many of you and me have, have, have seen the bad things that could happen and, and just paralyzed in fear? When God said, walk, walk toward that Red Sea right there, but God has not parted yet. Man, you're tripping, dude. What, what's going on? Walk, walk, walk. And then just before the break of dawn, God's going to do what only he can do. And for them, he parted that Red Sea and they walked across. And then behind them, their enemies were delivered at their feet. Everything they were afraid of was washed up. But then, oh, you, oh, you have little faith. How quick we forget these same Israelites that just walked through that, you would think that changed their life forever. They get in the desert and they start doubting God. They say, God, would you just bring us out here to die? I'm hungry. Provides some manna from heaven. God, I'm thirsty. Provides water from a rock. Even in the midst, get this, of their doubts, of their fear, he's still trying to prove that he's God. So even when they're not faithful, he is. Praise God for who he is. And then they face a flooded Jordan, and he pulls back those flooded waters, and they walk across again. Get this, with his presence leading the way through the Ark of the Covenant. Are you allowing God's presence to lead the way in your life? Or are you trying to take the lead and get ahead of him and figure out ways to get across that flooded Jordan by yourself? Or will you wait for God and walk in his presence? And then they face Jericho and the walls. And they have to walk in blind faith around a building and God does what only he can do and he honors the faithful obedience of those who trust in him and those walls came crashing down. How many of you need walls to come crashing down in your life? Will you walk in faithful obedience to what God is leading you and me to do? Then and only then will we see the walls come down. He's the God who's froze the sun in the sky allowing victory to be taken. He's brought fire down from heaven to prove that he is greater than any other. 
He shut the mouth of the lion for his faithful servant, Daniel, who prayed knowing what would happen when he did. But he threw open the windows and he prayed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob no matter what because he knew that this is truth and this is something to stand on. And God shut the mouth of the lions. And he went and took a nap on a furry cat. Stroking that mane, baby. Somehow we just think these are really cool Bible stories we teach our kids in Sunday school. When these are meant for us, he's the same God with those three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who the evil king and evil culture had changed their names, trying to change their identity. Sound familiar in Christ? And change who they are and make them second-guess themselves. And they still, in the face of an evil command to worship a golden image, chose to not bow down when the music started. And they stood up. Teenagers, I wonder if there's a teenager in here in the midst of a culture that's going the opposite direction would stand up for Jesus even if they're one of three and stop following the crowd. And then he was faithful to their stand and they didn't even know if God would deliver them. And, we, and when they went in the fire, it says that the people that threw them in the fire because the fire was seven times hotter that they died. The people just throwing them in. And then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, looked in and said, oh, man, whoa, 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 stop the bus. Dude, didn't we throw three people in there? The guys were, yeah, king. But there's four in there, and one looks like the son of the living God. Let me tell you what, God all the time won't remove you from the fire, but he'll walk through you with it. He'll walk through it with you. He's there. And they come out, and they didn't even smell like smoke. He's the God who's fed thousands with a few fish and a few loaves of bread. He's healed the sick. He's made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak, the lame to walk, the dead to come out of the grave. And he's made a way out of death for you and me at Calvary. When he broke his body and shed his blood that we could be forgiven, that we could be redeemed, restored, and renewed, that we could be raised to walk in newness of life. When he claimed victory over hell, death, and the grave, and he sealed that victory with an empty tomb when he walked out, that he's God, and he is sovereign, and he's in control. And he stands alone now as the righteous judge. And he offers us through him and through his son and the sacrifice he made that we can now become a child of God. We could be heirs to the throne. That means you could call him Abba. That's daddy. And we started the message with that. It doesn't get any warmer than that. So because of that, we can now have faith and confidence that we can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So let me ask. In spite of all that I just went through, and that's just a little bit of what's in here. What are we afraid of again? His resume is flawless. He does not miss anything. He knows everything. He controls everything. And he loves you. And he's a refuge. He's your strength. He's your help in times of trouble. He's with you. So therefore, we can fear not. That we can, Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. Live in confidence that the Lord our God 
will be with us wherever we go. Let's never fear daddy's here. Is he your daddy? Bow our head and close our eyes. If you don't know him like that right now, do it right now before you leave this place. His arms are wide open. He's done everything he needs to do. He's laid down his life. He's paid the price. All he's inviting you to do today through his spirit, as his spirit taps on your heart and pulls you and tugs at you, don't resist that. Don't harden your heart like Pharaoh did. Say yes to Jesus right now and surrender all. Commit and trust your life to him. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if we believe, that believe word means to entrust and commit our life to him with our heart, then we are saved. And then we confess with our tongue that he is Lord and he's done a miraculous work in our life. Have you done that? Do you know him as daddy? He's inviting you right there today. So if you don't, I want to lead you through a prayer that I want you to do and say to mean business with God. It's not just words, empty words. It's a heartfelt surrender. Or if you've been here and you said, Brad, I've been in and out of church doors my whole life, but lately I've deviated, I've walked away, and I mean, I need to come running back to the cross, and I want to, I want to rededicate, recommit my life to Jesus right now, and I want to be on fire. I want to be the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of this age. I want to stand when it's impossible to stand. I want to walk by faith and not in fear, and I want to trust him with every step of my life. If that's you and you want to rededicate your life, I want you to do business with God and pray the same prayer right now to him. To receive him for the first time or to rededicate your life, just boldly and unashamed right now, say, dear God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I've messed up, and I'm in need of you, my Savior. Thank you for sending your son, God in the flesh, Jesus, to die on the cross, that I could be forgiven, that I could be redeemed, restored, renewed, that I could have a new life in him. And thank you for raising him from the grave three days later, proving that he is God and he stands in victory. And, Lord, I want to claim that victory right now in my life, Lord, I need it. And my commitment to you is all the days of my life, every step I take and every breath I make will be for your glory alone from this day forward. Lord, give me the strength. Be my refuge. Be my help in time of trouble. Because I know you're with me. You'll never forsake me. And I can walk in courage the rest of my days. Amen. If that's you and you did business with God right now today, for the first time, or you rededicated your life to him boldly, unashamed, Right now, no one looking around, just raise your hand and say, Brad, I did business with God right now today, and I'm not ashamed. Amen. Let's close our service like we do every week. And I'm going to ask you to put action with your feet to whatever it is God's doing in your heart right now. Through his word, through his spirit, tugging at your heart and your life. Maybe you made a decision for the Lord right now today. Maybe you need prayer over something that, that is fearful in your life. A situation in a relationship, a, a, a report of a, at a doctor a situation in a job, whatever it is, will you just come? Maybe you need to come and, and ask about what it looks like to serve, to join the church. Maybe you just need prayer over something else. Maybe you don't need us at all. The pastors will be up here, but you just want to walk right past us and do business with Jesus. Let's just do that right now. Let's stand to our feet, sing with all our heart, with all our voice right now. Let's come as the Lord leads.
Redemption Church, can we give Jesus a big round of applause for who he is, what he does in our lives and through his word each and every week. And I hope we can take this message that we can go and live outside of fear, walk through fear no matter what it looks like in our life. Oftentimes that means at the end we didn't touch on it, but it means to be still and know that he is God. That be still literally means to stop striving, hands off. Doesn't mean stop walking, be physically still. It means be emotionally still. Stop, stop trying to control circumstances yourself. Keep walking by faith toward a Red Sea that hasn't parted yet. And just at the right time, God will do what only he can do in your life. He is faithful. Let's go make an impact for Jesus. Hope to see you next Sunday.